0: Hello everybody, you're listening to The Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 525. Wild reactions from Wild Card weekend. Chillians, welcome back to the Big Chill Podcast. I'm Frank, turn to with Eddie. Eddie, we talked about uh, maybe not the best Saturday, better Sunday, okay Monday, but it turned out every game but uh, the Tom Brady game turned out to be a thriller.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean the Niners game wasn't exactly a thriller, but it was close for a while, probably closer than most expected it to be, and then they pulled away. But yeah, aside from that game and the, the Bucks Cowboys game, everything was pretty interesting. Although I guess you could reverse the Niners, uh, Seahawks equation and say that the first half of the chargers Jags game wasn't close either. Yeah. I yeah. guess neither half was close. It's just that they were close and they were not close in opposite directions in the end.
0: Yeah, no, you know, I, like you're right. The Niners did pull away pretty comfortably, but it was still a very enjoyable game to watch because. You know, just going into halftime knowing that the Niners were I didn't think they were ever in trouble, but on the scoreboard being in trouble made for a very interesting second half. Even just watching them kind of pull away was kind of exciting to see them finally put it together in that second half.
1: Yeah, I never felt concerned. Like at halftime, I know you sent me the message and stuff. I wasn't concerned at halftime. I wasn't concerned. I was, was trying to
0: bait this, you a little bit with yeah, our uh, f- friend of the podcast, who's a Seahawks fan, and trying to bait you in a little group chat. But you didn't take debate. <laughs> no, I
1: wasn't concerned at that point. I wasn't concerned when they were driving. You know, like there was a turning point in the game, which is the the strip sack fumble. Uh, that from that moment on, it was pretty one sided. Uh, that's when the Niners kind of went on the run. But even then, even if the Seahawks had scored a touchdown on that drive, I wasn't super concerned. I, would have, I was only going to be concerned in that game if it became like a two-score deficit at that point because I was always confident at some point they were going to get stops and that they were moving the ball efficiently enough that they were going to keep scoring points. So it would have only been if all of a sudden it was like the Seahawks winning by nine.
0: I would have, suddenly, I would have been a bit more worried then. Yeah, I mean, my alternate opening to this podcast episode was to say I found Debo. He's just been sitting in the playoffs waiting for the Niners to get there, I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, he had his you know, I and I think I I guess if I guess it's going in, in chronological order in a sense to talk about that game, but I think that's I find it interesting in the in the aftermath, there are either Purdy believers or Purdy haters now. And I think both have gone too far. So there's the people who believe in Purdy who think he is the next Tom Brady, and then there are people who say he's just a quarterback in a great system. And pretty much anyone could have be doing this and that he shouldn't be deserving any credit. And then actually he didn't play that well. You know, there's people who in the, in the fallout of that game have even said he actually played pretty badly. And they'll point to, he got off to a little bit of a rough start. Yeah. There's the, there's the first he, throw that could have definitely had been some
0: in. jitters, definitely had yeah, some I'm playoff good. jitters, I think, which is normal. I mean, that's, that's going to happen. Like, it, if you took out his first quarter, I think he played great overall. Even with the first quarter, I think he played very good. You know, I think he was probably I would put him in the top five QB performances of that week for sure. The stats uh, will tell you way better, and we can get into that in a minute. But I, I, think, I he's, think he's a top five QB performance of that weekend.
1: I think he's top two. Mm. I mean, who's who who are you putting above him? Prescott. Prescott's number
0: one. Probably Daniel Jones. Okay, I think okay, Daniel I'll give Jones. Ha- like, if without Daniel Jones, the Giants don't even come close to winning that. game. Okay, I'll, I'll put yeah, I'll put Daniel Jones above him. I'll, I'll go there, and I won't and put anyone else. In- i I'd actually, I'd probably put maybe Cousins. He only had like six incompletions the whole game. Cousins, it's just yeah. very unfortunate that the final throw is maybe one of the worst like picked throws of all time, but we can get into that later. But yeah, Yeah, I think that overshadows overshadows the whole at at the worst.
1: Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. I'll take that. But no, I thought, you know, but it's just funny to me in the, in the fallout from that, just, and it, what's interesting to me is people be like, anyone could have done this except Purdy has undoubtedly looked better than, and then the other two 49ers quarterbacks this year. So if you think he's just a system quarterback, he looks better than Trey Lance did. Who okay had a pretty small sample oh, he had size? But, one game, right? <laughs> right, but even in Purdy's first game, he looked better.
0: Yeah, you mean, that's tough. you can't you can't make a decision off all one game. No, okay, a, but a, I agree. I don't think Lance and, would have been this good. And
1: he looks better than Jimmy Garoppolo. Yes, and not only that, which I think is it's the kind of force multiplier of his performances. It's not just that he looks better; all of their weapons look better. Like Ayuk is more involved. Kittle's more involved. You know, Debo kind of you know is more involved from a wide receiver standpoint than he was previously, and to me, that's the really interesting aspect to this. Is it's not just what he's playing well; it's that you know George Kittle over the last eighteen months had basically become just a really good blocker. You know, there's moments when he kind of wasn't that involved as a real offensive weapon for the Niners. I mean, that's a huge element to how they play. So he's still incredibly useful and. The best blocking tight end in the league so it matters but you know now you actually have him involved in the in the offense in a in a real way again and
0: yeah second team all pro the all pro teams were announced kittle got second team over mark andrews which is pretty impressive yeah and and so yeah i think it's
1: i thought it was a you know geno smith played really well in that first half so, you know, it's more credit goes to kind of Geno Smith there. I thought the Seahawks, you know, gave a good go of it in that, you know, they played a pretty complete first half of football, no real mistakes. You know, whatever Geno Smith had, it was well, 10, 11 straight completions at one point, something like that. Yeah. You know, they played what, They played as well as they could. And I think that's more the indication for me. The Seahawks kind of played a perfect first half and they were winning by one point. And that was, to me, the reason why I felt pretty comfortable as a 49ers fan was I didn't think that the the Seahawks were going to be able to replicate that for another two complete quarters. And so you just thought at some moment in time, I didn't expect the Niners to maybe pull away in the manner in which they eventually did. Like Things got out of control for the Seahawks rapidly, but I always felt like the Niners were pretty much in control.
0: Yeah, I mean, just quickly touching on the Geno Smith, I think this, to me at least, shows he's... Definitely bought himself a starting job. And I I think it kind of puts the Seahawks in a tough position because he played phenomenal this season. And if you can get three to four more years of this, that's amazing. But the issue is they have a great draft pick this year. And they're in a very tough spot right now of do they trust this isn't just a one hit wonder And this is just a late bloomer and finally getting his chance in the right system. And this is going to be replicable or do you pick a, you know, you're not going to get nice draft picks like this every year. So it's, it's puts them in a tough decision and I think he deserves to be the starter. He had a great season. He never really faltered, slowed down a little in that second half, but you know, had a tough playoff game against, you know, one of the hottest teams, the NFL and put up a good fight. So um, you know, I, I think I was impressed, but I, I thought he would have collapsed. It also
1: puts them in a tough spot for another reason. Even if you think he can replicate this for another three, four, five seasons, does it put you in that awkward middle spot where he's gonna be good, he's gonna get you to the playoffs, you're gonna have a few seasons losing in the first round of the playoffs, you're never gonna get sort of over that hump. Like, are you ever gonna be a Super Bowl contender with Geno Smith? And so does it put you in that terrible middle ground of we're competitive, but we're not amazing. And at the same time, we're not bad enough where we can rebuild. And that would be, which in the NFL, the rebuild process anyway is so complicated. It's not like the NBA or something. You can't just tank and one player is not going to completely change the future of your team in the same way. But that's the other thing. I mean, I think if you're them, the temptation would be to almost put yourself in the 49ers situation of like Geno Smith is like Jimmy Garoppolo. Like he's going to be good enough to, to have you be a, a decent team. Probably a young player could learn from him. I'm sure he's been in so many different situations that there's a lot of stuff someone could take away from him. And also a really nice example for a rookie quarterback to follow in some respects of here's a guy whose career he kind of struggled, yeah. but he stuck
0: at it. And in the end, he got there. Maybe like a Chiefs-Alex think- Smith-Mahomes situation, kind of.
1: Yeah, like I'd be tempted to draft a quarterback, but to do so knowing that at least for season
0: one, Gino Smith is going to be the guy. Yeah. I mean, because they, they have good weapons around them when you look at it. You know, they have Kenneth Walker, who had a great season, and then you have Metcalf and Lockett, and Metcalf played extreme. I mean, he tried to put the team on his shoulders at one point, you know, and he's strong enough. He almost did it. But um, getting back to the Niners, I think the thing with Purdy That I was thinking about that's gonna help him, I think, down the road is he's come in right away and been successful. And he's now, like you said, the team around him is playing so well. And I think part of that is because the team's bought into it. And the team is bought into Purdy, you know, being like maybe he is the next Brady. You know, I think the team's bought into that. And I think there's a lot, like, you see that with certain quarterbacks where they just get in the right situation and then they have this aura around them and the team just, like, look at Joe Burrow. If Joe Burrow didn't play well that first season, it could be a completely different team. But everyone thinks Joe Burrow's like, the fucking coolest Joe in the block, you know, like, oh, he's, he's Joe Burrow, he's my quarterback. And had he not come out and just played really well, they I don't think Jamar Chase says that. You know, I don't think a lot of their team is getting behind him, but you get, like, Mahomes is the same way, right? And I think, well, Brady's the perfect example of that. Brady comes right in and does great, and then everyone, you know, got on Brady's back and, you know, they were dominant forever. So I think there is something to that when you come out right away and do well, that you get a Like you kind of get this, this like story behind you and the team buys into it. And I think there are quarterbacks that haven't had that success because, and I think Daniel Jones is kind of that case. Like the locker room says they're behind Daniel Jones, but are they really behind Daniel Jones? You know, because he didn't start out great. He didn't start out hot. So I think that's really helping them. Yeah, for
1: yeah. And I mean obviously he impressed people in preseason and the, you know, cuz they wouldn't have kept him on the roster if there hadn't been something about him. You know, there was there was no reason to keep three quarterbacks on the roster if they thought he had there was no sort of potential in him in the long term. And when when you hear all those teammates speak about him, they say how much he's impressed them throughout that time even when he was just a third string quarterback and in terms of the way he's carried himself. But I think also the positive for him in this position, he's never lost, so there's kind of no reason to doubt him. So as a team, you feel as if, okay, this guy just keeps winning. He's had different types of victories. I actually think that that come from behind win against the Raiders is a big one to have on his CV at this point from a team perspective in that otherwise it might have been easy to think, well, we've kind of been in control of games and he's played well, but we've just been managing them. That was actually a situation of, okay, we're down 10 points in the second half. We need, now we need, the offense has to step up. This defense is not going to win us this game necessarily. So I think the fact that they've kind of all manner of victories within that, even Saturday's game being a close contest for, two and a half, three quarters, and then just being able to consistently not mess up and then be part of the team that pulled away is a nice position for them too. So yeah, I think, look, I don't know at what stage he has to get to. It's an interesting debate before he has that starting job secured for next season. Oh, I I think
0: he, I I think you go into next season with a, uh, like a, a quarterback battle in the preseason. I'm putting in quotations here, but I think you have Purdy as your starter, but you give Lance at least a shot to show if he's the next great, you know, if he's the next Patrick Mahomes, give him a shot at least. And if you see something phenomenal, then maybe you have a real discussion, but I think the quarterback battle is a, is a quotation battle and Purdy is your starter. I mean, yeah, I think, well, look,
1: if he wins the Super Bowl, 100%. If he makes it to the Super Bowl, almost certainly. I don't know if they lose next round to the Cowboys, where you know that you feel as if the Niners are the better team. Like, if he loses at a point where you feel like going into that game, they were be- they were the stronger team, then that maybe reopens the debate to a larger degree. Certainly, you know, it's the problem with being as successful as he is and coming out of nowhere Everyone loves you while you're winning. There's going to be backlash when they lose. There's definitely going to be the discussion. If they lose to the Cowboys, for example, even if they lose to, say, the Eagles, there's going to be people saying Jimmy Garoppolo would have won. There would have been people saying,
0: oh, I don't think trade. anyone's saying that. Eddie." Maybe you have some some no, warped reality of what Jimmy Garoppolo is. <laughs> No, hundred percent. If they lose this
1: weekend, there'll be there would be conversations about Jimmy Garoppolo would have won this game because people would point to the fact that Jimmy Garoppolo's taken them to a Super Bowl. That Jimmy Garoppolo took them to an NFC Championship game last season. Like, a hundred percent, people are going to be saying, uh, you know, we would have like Garoppolo would have done better. So I think there there can be that part. The backlash is already. Two things of when that when I hit, hit, read the the purdy doubters. Jimmy Garoppolo has become better and better amongst the Purdy Doubters since he's been injured. You know, this guy who faced tons of criticism over his time in San Francisco, every time he gets injured, he becomes 50% better. You know, like there's – people forget, uh, you know, the, the, maybe some of the struggles they went through. But, yeah, it's it's a really nice story in some sense. In some sense, I don't think the story gets enough attention as it almost deserves in just how crazy his life transformation has been in the last four months. From a guy who, several months ago, if you'd asked him, do you think he'll ever start an NFL game? The honest answer would have probably been no. I'm sure he wouldn't have said that, but you know what I mean? Like The realistic trajectory for his career was never starting an NFL game. And then now, all of a sudden, it's potentially winning a Super Bowl. First rookie quarterback to ever start a game for the 49ers, which is a kind of interesting statistic. I wouldn't have thought that going into the game. And the other, just to kind of wrap up the 49ers discussion, how do you think Trey Lance feels? Like, what is your. Do you think he's sitting there hoping for them to lose?
0: Yeah, maybe. Or maybe he's already on talks with his agent about how to get out of there. I, I don't know. It's tough. It's, 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 I mean, I think he can't get out of there because
1: if you're the 49ers there'll still be a little bit about doubt about Brock Purdy even if they won I, the super bowl even if there's bowl. doubt
0: i mean we, i was talking we were talking about this when we were playing hockey on sunday even if there's doubt why would you ever get rid of someone who has so much potential on a team where you've seen firsthand how fragile quarterbacks are i would yeah. never get rid of him unless it was a phenomenal offer you know and you could get a ton back i would never get rid of two second year quarterbacks who are on smaller contracts than anything you're going to pay once they get past this rookie contract. Like I would not release either of them or trade them well, they, unless you're never well, going to,
1: they're never going to release, release one of
0: them. not release, but I would never trade unless I'm getting a ton. And and that's the issue that
1: gave up a lot to get Trey Lance in the first place. So someone taking him is probably going to have to, they're going to have to better the offer because otherwise, why would the Niners for the reason, you know, it's a, team friendly contract. You got someone on a rookie contract. So why would you give them up? So well, better the offer better, might
0: be, I don't know. I don't see why else at, at, the, what, at a point, like what if you get to year three or year four and he hasn't even stepped on the field at that point, I don't, what, don't think you're getting a better offer. But otherwise what's the incentive from
1: the 49ers perspective? If they have any faith.
0: Cause otherwise once his contract's done, then they lose him. They don't get anything back. Well, like, who's you're, 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 gonna, you gonna if, you're gonna cross a point where you've gotta get something versus nothing.
1: No, I don't think you do. Why? It's, it's, I mean, he's either playing, if he's not playing in year three, I don't think there's going to be some huge Trey Lance market out there from a trade perspective or from a free agent standpoint. There might be. Who, who in year three, it's a guy who has basically has one season of college football under his belt. And I mean, there was a lot of
0: Jordan Love year three. People wanted Jordan Love and the Packers wouldn't uh, trade him.
1: Supposedly according to reports. You know what I mean? Like, well, according to you,
0: Trey Lance looked absolutely phenomenal in, in training camp. No, according to Eddie, he was like the next he was like the next greatest generation it, of quarterback. I couldn't, couldn't hear enough of it.
1: It wasn't according to me. I wasn't in training camp kind of feeding it's, that. From player.
0: the sounds of it, it sounded like you were because you were the only one who was posting this. <laughs>
1: That's not true,
0: but no, look. I think uh, I, I don't think there's a huge incentive from
1: the 49ers' perspective to trade Trey Lance unless you better the offer. Because for a number, otherwise, if you don't better the offer for Lynch and for Shanahan, they'll be criticized. Why'd you give all this up to move up in the draft, and then in the end, you've traded him for you know fifty percent of what you gave up? Why on earth did you did do that? That's a huge mistake. You're gonna get, and why would you take that criticism if you're them, and then. I mean, you had to work through it from there. If you're Lynch, you give him up for less than you gave up to move up to get him. You're, there's instant criticism there. You, you know, All that's mishandling your draft. And then imagine he goes somewhere else and he's good. Now you get the second wave of criticism. Oh, n- not only did you give him up for less, but you shouldn't have given him up in the first place. So well, from a l- ris- l- let, me
0: pu- let me paint this picture, though. What's the criticism like if he rides your bench for four years... You let him go, never plays, doesn't sign a new contract, and then goes and is the number one QB next year. What's that criticism like? You not, not only did you ruin your draft by trading up to get him, but then you didn't play him, and then you let him go, and now he's the best quarterback, better than Purdy. That's even worse. Well, well at least you get is, something. <laughs> I think
1: if for the next four seasons Trey Lance is just on the bench, that means that the Niners have won at least one Super Bowl. In the Purdy era. (laughs) No, but I mean, realistically. The Purdy era.
0: Listen to this guy.
1: (laughs) But no, no, but like this is, if you're telling me that Trey Lance is sitting out, so he's got three more years, and in that time he's just been a backup the whole time. The 49ers, that to me tells me the 49ers have won a Super Bowl. And if you're then the Niners and you say, well, we won a Super Bowl, you can't possibly, even even if Trey Lance goes on to be very good, You can't say it was a mistake because the goal is to win Super Bowls, right? I think in sports, a lot of times people get lost as to like, what is your aim here? You know, teams will constantly be like, well, what do you do this trade? You you might only win one. You're going to, you know, you're going to take on an older player. You're going to give up a player with young potential. You might only win one championship with it. Then do it because one championship, a lot of teams have a lot, you know, young potential with and then the window closes and they got nothing from it. It's like when people are critical for the late with the Lakers for the Anthony Davis trade, they want a title. That's the goal, right? You made a trade, you won a title. I,
0: I get what you're saying. You're going to tell me it's, a bad, sh- no, tell no, me it's I, a bad I, trade because you might've won two titles otherwise, but you, who knows? Listen, I've never talked about Anthony Davis in my life. So I don't know why you're yelling at me about that, but I, I agree with you completely. <laughs> but what I don't agree with you on is if Brock Purdy suddenly loses in the NFC championship or the Super Bowl that all of a sudden you bench him because the guy's lost one game I'm not saying
1: bench I mean, I'm not saying bench I'm saying if you I think present, it's
0: a little drastic that you' know, would be because knowledge. there's a lot of luck right because there is a lot of luck to winning a Super Bowl too so you could be really sure. good and just lose games I I mean that doesn't 100%. mean that you don't deserve to be the starter like I can foresee Brock Purdy being the starter for four years and the Niners never winning the Super Bowl. i I'd imagine them to be going far in the playoffs, but I could still see I can see a scenario where they don't win a Super Bowl and Curry's still your starter. It's crazy. It's crazy.
1: That's,
0: <laughs> no, but here I'm just saying, crazy. I think if they so if they lose this weekend,
1: then I'd say that's open competition for the quarterback role, the starting spot next season. I mean, look, we've discussed it on previous episodes too. We don't know when Trey Lance is going to be healthy. There's a good chance Trey Lance is not healthy for Week One anyway, so Brock Purdy might be the starter no matter what. Because even if they think Trey Lance is going to be the starter by the end of next season, there's a good chance he's not a hundred percent in Week One. So you know the the Brock Purdy starting job might be secure for the beginning of next season because it's unclear what the Trey Lance timeline is for him returning. So they might be looking at it anyway of like, and this is the nice thing for them. This buys them. The Trey Lance, you know, the other – if Brock Purdy had come in and been terrible and they'd – I mean, at the point in which Brock Purdy came in, they could have missed the playoffs, you know, if he'd been really bad. Like the season could have really fallen apart. That would have put them like, do you bring – you know, the, the discussion would have been totally different. Do you bring Jeremy Garoppolo back for one more year because Trey Lance isn't going to be fully healthy? You know, are you trying to rush to get Trey Lance back? This is if nothing else has bought the Niners a lot more time to handle the Trey Lance situation in the best way possible. That's the thing you'd be thinking if you're Shanahan and and Lynch, and they wouldn't have had that otherwise. And, you know, also nice because obviously Pert and Trey Lance are two completely different styles of quarterback, so you then also have a larger discussion over what the future of the team looks like from a sort of
0: style standpoint. All right, I think we've discussed the next five years of the Niners. way too long in the least exciting game probably of the day or the least talked about game because even the blowout has some major implications of talking points so let's chronologically move as you enjoy most to the the most lopsided half first half second half being the jags and chargers i'm going to start the story at the very end did you see how Trevor Lawrence celebrated his victory? Yeah, I saw he went to the Waffle House. Yeah, I thought that was actually a pretty, pretty cool move. I like it didn't like. I can I imagine it being like one in the morning and not much open, and just you kind of just like let's just get some food and hang out, you know, and not want to go somewhere fancy or something like that and try and be a little secluded. And there happened yeah. to be I think five other people in the restaurant, but it was kind of cool just like seeing him and a bunch of his friends and his family taking up three, four booths eating. Waffles, drinking coffee. But there is also there is also. I I knew you wouldn't like it. I don't dislike. I I don't dislike it.
1: I just think it gets the whole like famous people, they're just like us element to it. You know, it's like when uh, Joe Flacco signed the largest contract in NFL history and went and bought chicken McNuggets. Like, yeah, yeah, it's cool, but I think people give it people give it too much credit of like what
0: a normal guy he went to the Waffle House. See, I don't think normal. I think kid. To me, that's just, he's just, he's just like, it's such, it's, you forget how young some of these people are. Cause like, if I'm in my, what is he, 24, 25, you know, like that would definitely be something we would do. We would go do something and then late at night be like, Oh, let's just grab some food and go somewhere stupid, like a waffle house or something. Just hang out. So I, it it just made me feel, wow, they're so young and I'm just getting so old, but, um, it reminded me too of. It reminds, It just always brings me back to the Giannis story, which is one of my all-time favorites. When he went to go get tacos after he single-handedly won them the the playoff game, and then he told them they don't have seats and, and made him leave. It's like I love that story. See, but it, and I,
1: Trevor Lawrence, I can't get a total read on. So this is part of my issue. Giannis, you just know it's super genuine. Yeah, he's just like a kind of simple guy who happens to be really good at baseball, but he just likes kind of really, you know, it's like when he wanted to have the garage sale and the bucks wouldn't let him have it. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like there's elements to him that he just has this like really simple personality and he's happy. Like he's there, you know, there's nothing thought out with the Trevor Lawrence thing. What I worry about to a certain degree is like, here's a way to just, you know, we know you're going to be probably at some point, moment in time, the highest paid player in the NFL. Whenever you know you go through that new deal discussion and all these sorts of things, but like, let's just show them you're still a man of the people. Let's go to the Waffle House, you know, with your entourage. Like, that's the thing that, and I might be totally wrong, and I don't want to be critical of
0: him for doing it's it. It's the hair; it throws you off. You can't get a read with the hair.
1: I also just, ultimately, I haven't. The hair doesn't help because I never know how to interpret the hair of like. No how much is it it's mildly ironic how much, you know like you're never quite sure he also just he doesn't have a ton of personality i know he gets criticized for that that video of him trying to give the, like the pregame huddle uh yeah. motivation and he's just <laughs> he has the, like the personality of a tree you know there's yeah. just monotone like come on guys let's go out there and win it makes it tough for me to judge everything he then does the fact that he's also in jacksonville means you just don't see that much of him So, you know, you just kind of don't really know who he is as a person, which is crazy for a guy who is the, you know, consensus generational number one pick and then is also (laughs) winning playoff games. And I still kind of don't know who he is.
0: Yeah. And I mean, you could say the same about Herbert, too. This year, actually, these past few weeks is the first time I've ever seen Herbert on a commercial. And he's on that SoFi commercial and it's the blandest commercial I've ever seen. He's talking about his, his interest rates. Like it's so terrible. I mean, you know, I, I think he's very similar. They're both, I think they're both pretty quiet, closed off people. You know, they don't like the spotlight, like some of the other quarterbacks do like obviously Joe, you know, this is, this is what I don't like Eddie is Joe Burrow. he, loves it. you cannot tell me he doesn't love the attention but when you hear from like his family or his friends they pull the joe is such a like he's a really quiet guy doesn't ever go out doesn't do anything he doesn't love the spotlight but he doesn't love the spotlight because anytime he gets a major win he's pulling out a 200 cigar in front of like 40 cameras. He's wearing the most like obnoxious clothing a f- to every a fur game. Fur coat, weird yeah, sunglasses.
1: Like, yeah. No, I'm sorry. Know.
0: Don't tell me he doesn't like the spotlight when every chance he gets to be in the spotlight, he tries to shine as much as he can. Like that, I don't buy. But and I can again, genuinely this- buy that like Herbert and Lawrence are just kind of more closed off people. They, you know, they, they don't love that spotlight as much. I can see Her- that.
1: Her- Herbert, I feel like I have a read on. Cause he doesn't like, he has no social media. He has all those things where he kind of tries to shun, you know, like he gets almost annoyed when they, when he sees that the cameras on yeah. him and stuff to me, that seems super genuine. Also the thing, you know, with Herbert, cause he's in LA, if he wanted to be that guy, he could be that guy. Oh, the, for the sure. Trevor, the Trevor Lawrence debate is like, he's in Jacksonville. So if yeah. he wanted to be that guy, could he even be it? You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of people who don't even, you don't know that Jacksonville has an NFL team. You know, like you're kind of off the map there. So, Herbert is with, the
0: guy that if he had like a torn ACL and was done with football next week, within a month, you see him like up in Wyoming fly fishing and, and sleeping yeah. in his camper van or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, like you'll never hear from him again.
1: <laughs> no. Yeah. So for, with Herbert, for example, if it was Herbert going to the Waffle House, I buy it. I just get that's a guy who likes going to the Waffle House made a calculated decision that it wasn't going to be very busy and decided that's what he wanted to do. But yeah, with, with Trevor Lawrence, but yeah, I guess we should, rather than discussing where Trevor Lawrence (laughs) ate after the game for five minutes, we should probably discuss the game itself. Unbelievable that the chargers managed to lose that game. You have five, you know, a plus five in turnover differential. I think from that statistic alone, you should just not lose the game when you have four first half, uh, interceptions, I think it's impossible to lose the game to be up 27-0. It should be impossible to lose the game. Like there's just, they, you know, it's like when they said, and I've not seen the breakdown of this, um, you know, but it's like when they said when the 28-3 uh, Super Bowl, Falcons, Patriots, that if they just knelt the ball every time,
0: they would have won the game. The oh, Chargers, I've got some stuff on you. Okay.
1: The Chargers may not have quite been in that territory, but they probably weren't that far off, certainly as the – When they got into the fourth quarter, they probably weren't too far off that. But what they did do, I think they only ran the ball six times in the second half, which is crazy. They consistently were snapping the ball with like 22, 23, 24 seconds left on the game clock. Never
0: once did they bring it down to, to one second in the second half.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, you're just, it's just insane. It means either you're so naive that you thought the game was over and you're not even worrying about the clock, or you're too smart for your own good and you're staley and whatever and you're trying to yeah. And and look, I think not only some of that criticism has to be leveled at Herbert. Like he's the one snapping the ball, right? Maybe he's getting told, you know, some element of but if he wants to run the clock down, he can run the clock down. Like he's fully in control of that to a certain you know, like he can audible, he can do what he needs to do there to he can make that game time decision. So I think some of the criticism has to go to Herbert there and a better second half performance from him. They win that game, but the play calling and the game management
0: just atrocious. Yep. So I, I I have a few comments on this game cause this is kind of close to my heart a little bit. One, I actually think a better first half performance from Herbert is what they needed. He had, they had two field goals, where he missed both the passes for a touchdown. One was a tip ball off the guy's helmet, which is unfortunate, but he does that a lot because he likes that sidearm throw, and he kind of asks for that to happen. And then the other one, he missed Keenan Allen like over his head when he was wide open in the back of the end zone. Both of those, you put touchdowns, that's another six points. I honestly don't think a team can come back. uh, Sorry, another uh, eight points. I don't think a team can come back from that. But... I don't think Herbert is fully to blame. He didn't play a great game, but he didn't lose them the game. You know, he didn't have turnovers, didn't have interceptions. Staley lost them that game. And I've been a huge Staley supporter because he loves the analytics and, he, you know, he loves all those things. But this is a guy who I don't – he loves analytics until they're actually meaningful, and then he just throws out analytics and and goes off his head, and it's it's nonsense. Like what does analytics tell you when you're up 27 run the ball and run out the clock. Like all he needed was about three first downs in that second half and they run out the clock and they can't come back. And he, you're right. He ran the ball four or five times the entire second half. That's fucking insane Two, exactly what you said. They were consistently, the average time they snapped the ball was 15 seconds left on the play clock in the second half. How can you do that? That the first thing you should say is, Hey, Justin, run the clock down all the way. You don't have to run it to one second because I get it. Then you give the defense the ability to just go yeah. right off the snap. Run it, it to never three. Be, run it to four. Run it well, to it, two.
1: Don't it run it never, to 15 seconds. It should never be over 15, which if your average is 15, that means you uh, that's had plenty. Even that's crazy. That means you had plenty of 25, yeah. 26, 27s. Yeah. If you want to say, let's get it 15, Five. Or, 15 or under, Five. The, mostly – yeah, but you'd say, be saying, hey, like, look, mostly we want to be 6'5 under. But if every once in a while you don't want to do 15 and under, so it's not too predictable, yep. okay, that's all right. But like, most of the time, we'd rather have the sack with you snapping the ball with one second left on the play clock than in an incompletion when, you, when there's 25 seconds left on the play clock.
0: Yep. And then just the whole play calling in general. I mean, what's Herbert known for? He's known for his accuracy on the deep balls. I mean, he hits. He has one of the best percentages for over 15, 20 yard passes in the entire NFL. He had the shortest yards to throw attempt in this entire playoff this round. What what kind of offense are you calling there, where you're like limiting the strengths of your offense? It, it was just such a weird performance, and a and a like I don't understand what he was doing. And then what's crazy is they had. A fourth and one or a fourth and two late, I think it was in the third or fourth quarter, where had they gotten it, it would, have, it would have definitely run off play clock. And the analytics were heavy on the go for it. And this guy, who always goes for a fourth down, decided not to. Like He, he got out of his mind. And I don't get it. And maybe he's just so second guessing because in week eighteen he plays the starters and knocks out Mike Williams, who's you know one of his best weapons. Because he's an idiot for doing that, and that's just in his head to begin with. I don't know, but I almost think at this point, like I think he's on. I would put him on the chopping block. Like I think about firing Staley at this point, with how poorly it's gone for multiple seasons now, and then the collapse here with being a ten win team injuring one of your best players in week 18 and then losing a game you're up 27 points going into the third quarter and the last thing i'll say is my dad was furious at the end of the first half i don't know if you saw it when they kicked the ball off to the chargers and the chargers return man slid down and like didn't even he like went to the 20 and just slid my dad said it was the most conservative call he's ever seen in NFL history. And yeah. at that point, if he could have, he would have bet on the Jaguars to win the game because he <laughs> knew they were going to go ultra conservative. And I kind of agree. Like, I've never yeah. seen that. I've never seen a return man slide. That's crazy.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, not to bring the Niners up again. They also kind of made a mess at the end of the first half with deciding to sort of like semi-squib kick it. When you didn't... I don't yeah, know. that was terrible. <laughs> why, why you just don't have the touchback and you think that the the Seahawks are going to be super aggressive with, you know, whatever it was, 15 seconds left. Like, that that didn't make sense either. But, no, I th- I'm surprised. It seemingly looks as if Staley will keep his job. Like, I think if he was going to be fired, he would have been fired by now for the most part. I think it doesn't seem much reason for them to wait. They're also a pretty cheap franchise, right? So... I don't see them deciding to take on the additional cost of firing a head coach and then having to hire a new one. That doesn't seem to be the way uh, you know they like to run things at the Chargers. So, yeah, I'm. But it was. It's one of those games where you know sometimes the comeback you give credit to the team that came back, and then this one you give all of the fault lies to the team that blew the lead. I mean, Trevor Lawrence improved for sure. But then yeah. also there was just blown coverages. I mean, they got the touchdown where the guys, I mean, opened by 30 yards almost. You know, there's things going on in that game where you you, you, deserve, you deserve some credit for some perseverance. You know, like it would have been easy if you're the Jags to just be like, well, we've lost. Um, but, but yeah, it's and, – and it's also, you, can, you know, if you're the Chargers, even if they just don't miss that field goal at the end, they probably win the game. But, yeah, it's uh, – and I have to admit, I'm you know I was out. I kind of took my eyes off the game for a bit in the third quarter, because you know I, once I got to halftime, I was like, well, this game's over. I don't need to pay as close of attention to it. And then it became increasingly obvious that a comeback was possible. And then it was pretty gripping. But there was you know six or seven minutes of the third quarter that I sort of zoned out of, just because it didn't seem that interesting. In the same way that I did last night in the Bucks Cowboys game. And that time it was completely correct to zone out.
0: Yeah. I, and I, I just, yeah, just watch it. You're right. Watching that game, the coaching, I didn't understand what they're doing on defense. They were super aggressive. The first half. I mean, even the announcers were making a note of how the, the D backs were playing very aggressive, very upfront. Cause they know they like the passes. And then they completely backed off that didn't blitz them in the second half. How about that end around? I think it was like third and run where they gave it to a guy who's never touched the ball on a run since like 2018 or something like that when he was like a sophomore in college and he like refused to take the handoff. Like why? Like He wasn't supposed to be the person taking it, but the player was injured. But then why call such an important play on third and one with a jet sweep, with a guy who's never done it before ever. Like those are just dumb things. Uh, Yeah. I, I don't know that very badly coached performance there. By the chargers
1: yeah yeah and one that's going to take them a while to get over because you're not this does seem like a somewhat open wide open playoffs you know there's not they're good teams in it but you would have given any team that's in any team that's in this next round sort of has a chance and you don't you can't always say that and so to blow that opportunity when you're the chargers when you're in a tough division that might get harder because you know you expect some improvement probably from the raiders at some point uh it's you know, you're not guaranteed a playoff spot, so to have a really terrible playoff outing. But if nothing else, I mean, Staley probably keeps his job. It heaps a lot of pressure on him next season. Like they've got to be really good next season or else he's definitely going to be going.
0: So then the next game is was the early Sunday game. And that, I think, surprised a lot of people where the Buffalo Bills pretty much held on. beat the Dolphins. I mean, that's the only way I can describe it is they held on for dear life and were able to to make it to the next round. Yeah. I mean, they
1: stormed out to an early lead. It looked like it was going to go the way everyone expected it to, that it was going to be you know super one-sided. And then the Dolphins came back, Dolphins took the lead. And yeah, it really looked like for periods of that second half that the Dolphins were actually going to manage to get the win. Not a very good performance from Josh Allen. Uh, and he's had a few bad performances over the last several weeks so that's a bit concerning from a bills perspective i think they're probably lucky in the sense that they're playing i mean we'll do our full preview in the next episode but the, the fact that they are up against a bengal's team who are losing several offensive linemen per game and yeah. you know that that might make the prospect slightly easier for them but yeah it wasn't it wasn't a very impressive performance from the bills And, you know, again, another thing we've spoken about in the past, Josh Allen's playoff performances do have some question marks over them. And that's not the kind of thing he's kind of lucky to have escaped that one, I guess. And if they go on to win the Super Bowl, it will be forgotten because that's what happens. You know, almost no team wins the Super Bowl by winning every game comfortably or with, you know, perfect playoff performances. But if they now lose... Anytime I mean, probably any time in the playoffs, but certainly any time before the Super Bowl, there's going to be, uh-oh, that was a couple of bad looks for Josh Allen again. Is he clutch? Can he be trusted? Is he the guy who can win a Super Bowl? Is he like Lamar Jackson, where you put him in the category of great in the regular season, but maybe not what you need in the playoffs?
0: Yeah, this, unfortunately, I think this was the worst played game of the of the six, uh, this looked like a regular season game where it was like a week nine. A bunch of people were injured, and I guess for the the Dolphins, you know, that you were down to to Thompson, so they were injured. But it it looked sloppy. You know, it, it, a lot of mistakes, a lot of penalties. It I, it was just very surprising, kind of boring at, at points, even though the the Dolphins were winning. You know, you'd, every time you expected the Bills to get the ball and just drive down the field, and it was, you know, bad passes or or weird things were happening. And, I don't know, I guess for the Bills, they just forget about it and move on and and hope to now kind of, like you said, play the Bengals who don't look as good on offense when half their linemen are down. But, I mean, this, is, this to me was another issue of coaching with McDaniels and he had that fourth and one was about 240 left um and they had a delay of game because they had no timeouts left and the reason they had no timeouts left was because they had to take 3 in that second half because they were going to get a delay of game because they were late getting the play calls in and this is what you know this is what always bothered me about Cliff Kingsbury when he was in the Cardinals every other drive it seemed like there was issues calling a play and so indecisive and I don't even know if McDaniel's calls the offensive plays, so maybe it's not on him. Um but I still don't I'm I still don't sure get that. He that. He, he didn't used to, so he did and then he stopped, but they were saying this game it looks like he was calling them again. Like he he kind of goes back and forth, so I, I'm not sure if he was, but regardless, like you can't you can't be so late calling every play and that you're wasting all your timeouts in the playoffs. So I'm going to give them a slight pass on when they wasted one of those timeouts, which is when it was
1: originally they were given a first down, then it was yeah. shifted to a fourth and one. They didn't reset the play clock for that, which I think screws the team. Like, I think that's unfair because he's probably called a play for the first down. Then they gets told it's fourth and one. So you've wasted some time there. Because well, that, re- that was
0: cut. also that last play too. He yeah, said on that we- last play, he had been told upstairs that it was a first down. And that's why they were late get late getting the play in because he called the first down play, but then realized it was still fourth and one. But at that point he had no timeouts left. So
1: Yeah. So I think that's not great. Like I think you have to, as officials, when they I mean literally in the one instance, they were, you know, doing the like signal of move the chains and then they decide, oh actually no. (laughs) And I think at that point you've got to reset the play clock because you know that a team has definitely put a play in at this point. And so you've wasted at least ten seconds of their forty seconds. And the other sort of caveat there is it's his third string quarterback. So how efficiently you can get a play in is maybe, you know, it's not a guy who knows the playbook inside out and, you know, who you can use some kind of shorthand with or leave some room for him to maybe make some sort of call there, you know, and sort of, we're going to get you in this base formation and, you know, this is the play, but if you see this, go for it. You're probably having to hold his hand through that entire process, so I'll give him a little bit of a break. It's still not great, uh, but it's I give him I won't be as hard as
0: on him as I would have been under other circumstances. Yeah. I just think, though, from an entertainment perspective, I'm kind of happy this game turned out the way it is because I don't think I'd want to see the Dolphins in the next round. I mean, that was that's a very boring offense without without Dua. It is, but you know what?
1: I I'll say this: I from and it will completely change because there's both the Bills and the Bengals are good teams. But from what I saw this weekend, I didn't want to see the Bills in the next round. I didn't want to see the Bengals in the next round. I didn't I I, I didn't really want to see the Ravens in the next round, but I gave them a lot of respect for the way that they fought. But out of in you know, in both of those games, I didn't look at that and think, well, those are teams that are Super Bowl caliber, you know, and then. Now, they, it's one game in the playoffs, and the important thing is you win and move on, and you can improve significantly the next week or the week after. So it's not, you know, I'm not going to say I'm riding off the Bills or riding off the Bengals, but I wasn't in awe of, of any of the four teams there. And I guess that's a way for us to transition to the, the Bengals game, which if the n- turning point in the Niners game was the strip sack fumble, the turning point in that Bengals-Ravens game is the almost – mind-blowingly dumb decision to reach out to try and score a touchdown when you're a yard and a half short of the end zone. I mean, he's not even close trying to reach over the pile and gets knocked out. Unlucky for him that it then falls to a Bengals player, gets returned for a touchdown. Like there's a lot of things there that you wouldn't have necessarily expected to happen even if it was going to go wrong. But I don't understand why on a kind of QB sneak that would have come into your mind is what you wanted to do. And a shame for him because he otherwise played pretty well
0: yeah i so i saw um alex smith has uh, like a show podcast kind of thing and one of his topics that he was going to talk about was why he hates the qb sneak and i don't know i didn't listen to it but for me i love the qb sneak because we watched so many times this weekend of how successful it was but you need to know when to call it and you need to know how to call it so one you don't call qb sneak When you're in the goal line on the two to three yard line, that's not QB sneak territory, especially when you have Dobbins, who's a hard freaking runner and will put his head down and, and try and get into the end zone. You don't start by trying to do a, a two yard QB sneak second off. You don't run a QB sneak by running straight up and then trying to reach the ball on top of the players. Saquon Barkley is great at doing the the reach over to try and hit the line, but he gets a running start and leaps about three feet in the air and is in the air as he's reaching out. He's not standing on the ground trying to reach the ball out. No part of that QB sneak was the right thing to do. It was just a disaster of a play. So I I, I don't know what the hell they were thinking calling that. I mean, and you saw I don't know if you saw, but Dobbins after the game was really critical and said that that is not his fault at all because he shouldn't even been in that situation and that Dobbins should be getting the ball. I don't love that. I I don't love it either, but I think he's kind of right. Like I'm not, I'm not starting calling that play.
1: No, sure. But I I think I don't love that from a player. I'd be really annoyed from if I were all of his teammates, because I mean, you're just setting yourself up for it. Are we going to call you out when you're involved in a play in which you shouldn't be, you know, like I don't, because yeah, he's not blaming the quarterback, but he's then blaming all the coaches and play callers. You know, it's I don't. He also said that they would have won had they had Lamar Jackson. That was another one of his post game quotes. Yeah. So you're not going to throw your quarterback under the bus for that play, but you're going to throw him under the bus for the game. You know, so like, no, I he actually
0: didn't throw his quarterback because the quarterback's Lamar Jackson.
1: <laughs> well, no, yeah, not the starting, the perceived <laughs> no, know, starting quarterback, but yeah, it's I think. Um, you know, I don't like that. You can maybe say that I'm I'm happy with him going into a team meeting and saying, guys, why am I not being given the ball? It's like the whole farce of the, you know, Patriots Seahawks Super Bowl and not giving the ball to Marshawn Lynch. Like it then turns and gets a life of its own. I'm sure Ravens fans will be discussing that now for years of like, why didn't we just run the ball? Not quite the same significance, but still, it's a bad play call. It's it's also just, it's super unfortunate that I mean, that it gets returned for a touchdown because I think even if he fumbles it and the Bengals get the ball on, I mean, their own five-yard line from falling on the ball, then it's a bad outcome from that position. But the Bengals weren't exactly moving the ball that well, so the likelihood is they're they're punting back to them in three minutes' time, and it's like, okay, that was bad, but we've recovered from
0: it. The fact that even decided. Mark Andrews almost had him too at like the 20 and then kind of like tripped and fell and and missed yeah. the tackle you know like even that is unfortunate yeah. cuz Andrews had him like he was flying yeah
1: no it's um yeah and and the Ravens deserve a lot of credit for putting up a lot of fight in that game and and probably almost should have won i mean also they have an excellent chance on the the kind of semi hail mary at the end after it's tipped you can argue. Oh man, should have been caught. You know, like oh man, it's so hard on the receiver because you know it's a ball that's in flight, gets touched. You're having to react. Like it looks easier than it is when you see it yeah. in slow motion, and
0: it's there to be caught. But he has a real chance there. Yeah, if and he's just one more foot to the right, he's yeah. got that. You know, that's yeah. at that point it's just luck of where you're standing. And he, if he were just standing, maybe even like six inches to the right more, I think he gets it.
1: Yeah, but no, a good uh, a good game, and a game, you know, it's, it was nice, and kind of wrapping up Sunday, it was a game that you didn't expect to be that close, and then actually delivered in terms of some excitement, and then that moves us on to, I guess, the game that didn't deliver any excitement at all, which was, Whoa. The... <laughs> well, the, skip right over the Giants? <laughs> oh, oh yeah, well, oh yeah, well, we were going in chronological order, and then we skipped out of chronological order. You skipped uh, was, out. Yeah, that was my fault, sorry, so then I forgot. <laughs> All right, the Giants. You can have your moment in the sun. A a good game game. of the week, in terms of best team. Both teams playing pretty well. Like unlike the other games where you can kind of say someone underperformed. Yeah, it was it was a good game, and it was you know up for grabs right until the end. And Kirk Cousins had that chance to sort of rewrite the script on (laughs) him not being. And you're right, as you said earlier, he was good for that game. So it's a little bit unfair. But the decision to throw five yards short of the line to gain yeah, to a receiver coming the wrong direction as well, like there's so much (laughs) wrong with that final play. And I get it. Maybe he looked – there was pressure coming. Maybe he decided that was the only
0: hope. But I would have rather he just tossed the ball 30 yards downfield and hoped for a miracle. So what he said was the play was originally supposed to obviously be to Jefferson. And he gave the look at Jefferson and he saw the safety over top coming down on him. And he decided that he didn't want to risk that throw. So he went to his next option. And then during that time, he was getting the pressure. So he thought he'd rather just check it down than take a sack and lose on a sack, which I kind of understand. Like that's the shittiest when you just get sacked at the end. But that was the only thing he could do Was he said he'd rather get it out and hope something could happen that he could break a tackle, than take the sack. the, the, the mistake there, though, is you had Jefferson three weeks ago where they threw it up to him, and the guy made one of the most spectacular catches ever. Just yeah. fucking throw it up to Jefferson. like Win, on, win or lose on your best player. Like but, Don't win or lose on trying to get your Hawkinson to break a tackle and win you a game. But, but, I mean, yeah,
1: not only that. Win or lose on a play that gives you a chance to win. I mean, what were the yeah. odds? He's going the wrong direction, so he's got to turn, get past, uh, you know, he's being closed down there's a 0% chance as that play develops that he is going to somehow manage to, even if he breaks the tackle, someone else is probably going to get him before he gets to the first down marker. Mm-hmm. You throw it deep, maybe a spectacular catch happens. Maybe a pass interference happens. You know, like there's yep. a, you got, you're giving yourself more outs than if you do what he did. So I kind of get what he's saying. Yes, he would have got more criticism if he's just, I, I don't know. I would have probably almost preferred to see him Try and buy himself some time, and get sacked. Then just ah, we're going to lose anyway. Let's not lose with me on the ground. You know, like that's basically <laughs> he's kind of he's. Kinda I don't want to be
0: with the ball last in my hands. <laughs> yeah, he's kind
1: of saying like I wanted to shift some of the blame there. Like I don't want it to be just oh Kirk Cousins getting sacked to end the game.
0: I think Eddie that you slightly owe Saquon Barkley an apology.
1: Not really. I've always said Saquon Barkley was good. My point was you don't take a running back. They, there's no way for them to deliver value on being drafted high in the way in which he was. But
0: mm, There was a little, a little more than that. No, it in the wasn't the beginning really. of the season when I said Barkley's back and he looks great, you would say, yeah, but he's never going to be healthy and you can never rely on him. Well, and now that's... he's had a whole season of being healthy and he did a great hey, game. He had a great hey, game. Hey, hey. Frank, Frank, I know you
1: just want a playoff game and you feel good. Don't go too overboard on the Saquon Barkley's definitely going to be healthy, and then we watch him go down injured one play into the next ground. <laughs> you know, like let's get to the end of the season, and then you can maybe try and hold me accountable for. Being well, chances are, this is the end of the Giant season, <laughs> and then we can reassess. But I'm not going to take it because they beat the inconsistent Minnesota Vikings in a playoff game. The 13 is... win
0: Minnesota Vikings.
1: Yeah, right. But that this is definitive proof that Saquon Barkley. Look, Saquon, there is no doubting the fact that Saquon Barkley is, on when he is healthy, one of the best running backs in the NFL. Like, I've never said otherwise, but as to whether or not you – I still think it's a slightly wasted draft pick because of how high you took him. And also, he just puts you in a difficult situation in terms of contracts because you know, I think running backs are the most easily replaceable weapon in your offense. I do think you can kind of, for the most part, with maybe the exception of Derrick Henry, I think you can find replacements if your offensive line is good enough. I mean, there's, you know, some other elements that have to be in place, but
0: coming from the guy supporting the team with the highest paid running back in the NFL. <laughs> but I mean,
1: here's the difference, too. Like Christian McCaffrey, I mean, Christian McCaffrey is a massive risk in terms of him staying healthy. And so far he has. And so it pays off for the Niners. If Christian McCaffrey had gone down hurt, two weeks into being traded, everyone would have said, well, you know Christian McCaffrey gets injured. If Christian McCaffrey gets injured between now and the Niners winning the Super Bowl, there'll still be some criticism. But also Christian McCaffrey gets used in a, you know, the Niners offense is pretty unique. And you're talking about a team that hasn't had under 150 yards rushing in the last sort of eight weeks or something. So
0: I think there's... So even more of a waste to have McCaffrey there. Well, no, because he gets... You're going to run him out of Wilson, Mo, that's uh, true. Moster, anyone that, why did he spend waste so much money? Whereas Barkley, he's got the team on his back.
1: <laughs> you're trying to, you're trying to prove a point to me, but I'm not totally disagreeing with you. This is the thing is I don't, <laughs> I, I'm like semi agreeing with you. And the issue with the running back is they, you know, with both in both instances, they better stay healthy for the remainder of their respective teams, playoff runs, because if they go down hurt, the, you know particularly McCaffrey's different cuz you traded for him this season so then it's like you did this with a aim obviously of winning this year so if he gets hurt in these playoffs then you reassess how good that trade was even if he'd been great which he's he's been spectacular up until now i mean way better than Saquon Barkley there's not a conversation about who's been better over the last 8 weeks Christian McCaffrey and Saquon Barkley cuz i don't i think it's difficult to have a conversation and say anyone's been better than Christian McCaffrey over the last eight weeks in the NFL. I mean, he's been that spectacular. But Saquon Barkley's been really good. I just don't draft. I'm not, I'm, if I'm a GM, I'm never taking a running back in the top 10 picks. I'm just never doing it. And then I'm probably, you know, it's rare that I'm, I'm like extending someone's contract as a running back.
0: Those you are just need to admit that... that Barkley is integral to the Giants' success this season. Without him, they are not in this situation. Uh, Probably not, no. There's no probably. I mean, there's a probably. I don't know.
1: (laughs) I, I think running backs are pretty easily replaced. Saquon Barkley is definitely one of the best. He's a harder one to replace. But, you know, look, I think Daniel Jones is more integral to the Giants' success. Their coaching has been more integral to their success. You know, there's other people who deserve way more credit, some of whom I've doubted. I was a big Daniel Jones doubter. I have to – I I would have to reassess – publicly reassess my opinion on Daniel Jones, which I think I have anyway over the course of this season. But I have to do that before Saquon Barkley because I at least always said Saquon Barkley was good. I just didn't know if you wanted him on your team because you don't want to pay him when he has to be paid in order to be there. Daniel Jones – Now give Jones his apology then. <laughs> Daniel Jones. Well, okay, we're gonna get you're gonna get we're gonna have to get to get onto your Mia in a second with your Tom Brady defense. So you know, if if you're just trying to buy yourself time before we get onto the Tom Brady discussion, let's go there now. This can be the swiftest one. All for performance from the Bucks. They showed their true colors. They're totally outclassed. They were a team that were only in the playoffs because they were in a terrible division and managed to sneak their way in and. They're just not good. I'm not blaming Tom Brady for that t- loss because I don't think Tom Brady was that bad. It's just their offensive line is terrible, their play calling's terrible, their defense isn't that good. Um, you know, the Cowboys. The only thing of note is the multiple missed PAT attempts. That's, that Bucks team
0: sucks. They should never have been in the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I can try and drum up some debate in our previous podcast to try and get a discussion going. <laughs> But that team is awful, and we've been saying try. it all season. Don't
1: even try that. You were trying we've to do been saying it for the that sake all of, season. That they're awful.
0: You can't try and
1: spin this. You are doing it for the sake of content. But no, that was yeah. I, they, the they, only, they, only they, thing
0: I'll say that I was wrong on is the Cowboys and Dak played a lot better than I thought they were. That is what I expected the Bucks to look like but I expected the Cowboys to be much worse and turn the ball over and put themselves in bad situations that maybe could cost them the game, but they played way better than I ever thought they would play. And maybe they were just toying with people and looking forward to the playoffs and, and more concerned about the playoffs. I don't know, but that was a complete game. And that I think, yeah, kicking aside a, a little scary if I'm a Niners fan. No, cause it's the bucks.
1: If they'd done that to a good team, then I might agree with you. But it's the, the Bucks. Bucks don't have a good D? No. No. If they had a good D, they wouldn't have won only eight games. Like, they, so there's going to be some – there's this myth surrounding the Bucks because of what we've seen from them in the past few seasons that they have a, a good defense or they have a good offensive line. I mean, they've been plagued by injuries both sides of the ball. They're not a good team. It's why, as I said, I don't think that's Tom Brady's fault. Wasn't a, I'm not saying he was good in that game, but I, I don't think he was the reason they lost. They lost because they were just significantly worse in pretty much every department, and you know that to me. A lot of people being like, "Well, now he has to retire." We've had the discussion already. I don't think he's going to retire, and I definitely don't think that's the way Tom Brady is going to have his final game in the NFL be. So I, I I think he would have driven away from that stadium, being like, "I am definitely not retiring now," because that is not going to be the sort of you know sort of end of the chapter of me playing in the NFL. That's not going to be the final sentence. But yeah, they were just way worse. The Cowboys looked like the Cowboys have looked when they've been good this season. I still think the Niners are a better team. Doesn't mean the Cowboys can't beat them, but I'm not going to be, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be the Niners. I'd be like the Niners thinking they were playing against one of the worst teams in the NFL. You know, that's a bottom third team in the NFL that they beat yesterday. They just, because of the divisional setup, Happen to be in
0: the playoffs, and I guess the question is like, do you cut your kicker if you're the Cowboys? I can't believe he wasn't cut. I can't. I honestly can't believe he came back out at halftime. <laughs> no, but in, in all seriousness, I honestly can't believe they they kept kicking. That I I, I honestly cannot believe that.
1: I guess the issue is the reason why I can is because they didn't really need to go for two. You know, like I get Prescott was furious on the sidelines, but like. There's no – and there was a moment where it's was like, well, it's only a three-score game now still because they've missed all these extra points. But they could have played for another four quarters and the Bucks were not going to get the three scores required. <laughs> so I don't think there was any concern. I get that the sense was – and eventually he did successfully attempt a point after – is that maybe that gives him – maybe if you're sitting there, you're thinking, we don't know what the kicking options on the market are – so we don't want to make a decision now. Like if you benched him, or if you just start going for two, you completely kill his confidence. And then it's like, well, now we have to cut him. And maybe what confidence does he have left? I don't know. <laughs> well, maybe he at least has the confidence of the team stuck with me, and I made one, and that that was a blip, and I missed five, and in, in, in totally missed five in a row because he missed w- one in the last game as well. Yeah. So maybe he just thinks this is some, but overall, over the course of the season, he'd been pretty good. So
0: All right, let me ask you this. Let's flash forward to next week. Cowboys opening drive, score touchdown, miss the extra point. Do you do you ever put him back on the field after that? No. No, that would be that would be it. <laughs> and you know what? He knows that. And I think it's that's just- gonna fuck him up. And I think he's gonna miss it. <laughs> well, that's the problem, is
1: he's feeling way more pressure than a kicker would normally feel for that extra point because it's not That's just why like- I think you replace him. I it's think not you one just point, it's, it's his job he's kicking for. Yeah. And
0: like unlike most other positions in the NFL It's is life. These are cowboy yeah. fans. This is the third playoff game they've won in 30 years. But I don't they're they gonna be unhappy if a kicker ruins their playoffs.
1: But it's not even that, right? It's like you can be a quarterback, you have a terrible playoff outing. Like you you're you're you'll still get a job as a backup quarterback somewhere. You know what I mean? Like you'll continue to make money in the NFL. Kickers, their careers can just be completely over like he could be cut by the cowboys and he never has an nfl contract again Like he's selling insurance next year you know like there is a possibility that that's that's the type of pressure that like dak prescott will never feel he could feel like it's legacy defining or whatever but dak prescott is basically guaranteed for the next 10 years to earn astronomical sums of money That kicker will be thinking, "God, if I miss one more, like this is this should be second nature to me. This is I've done this a thousand times in a row." I can't wait.
0: I cannot wait to see if they score early and he misses again. And if you're the Niners,
1: you hope that every player walking onto that field when he's walking on is reminding him of that too. You know, like asking, "Oh, poor
0: sportsmanship." Classic
1: Eddie move. No, I like as you know. I'm I'm sledging that stuff. I'm fine with that. I don't want you don't go overboard. You're not insulting someone too much, but oh, it, sledging. Keep your
0: bedroom from, out of the podcast. From, that cr- is.
1: from cricket. From cricket. I'm fine with that. Like if you're walking, if you're coming on, if he's lining up to take that kick, and you're asking him like. You know, I hope you've got enough money in your savings account and stuff like that. I'm, I'm fine with those. Ooh, right, for, right,
0: for, right for the financial situation.
1: Yeah. Social economical <laughs> status. Wow. Cutting right to the heart. <laughs> that's where you want him to feel the pressure. You're going to be out of a job tomorrow. So you better be set for, you know, unemployment. Hope your Roth IRA is settled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. In this economy, you're going to lose your job in this economy. Reminding him about what uh, inflation
0: is, but yeah, <laughs> really. Bosa's got like, like the unemployment stats written on his hand.
1: <laughs> that's why they brought in McCaffrey, you know, Stanford grad. He's going to have a really detailed discussion with him. Sit down next to him, and be like, "Ah, oh, you, your financial planning better be pretty good because this is not the time to be unemployed."
0: Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see. I I think that was. If you're a Cowboys fan, I think you have to be very encouraged with the way that they have been playing the past few weeks. I understand it's the Bucs, but still, to come out and to click on all cylinders and to have Prescott look like how you always pictured he would look but never really does, that was encouraging. Oh, no, sure. And look, I give the
1: Cowboys a chance against the Niners. I'm not saying – I would have given the Bucs – if the Bucs had somehow won that game, I would have given the Bucs a zero chance against the Niners. Like it would have been – it's just because it also just a terrible matchup for them. You would have just known Brady would have been under constant pressure and stuff like that. I still think it's a completely different prospect for the for the Cowboys, right? And he, Dak is going to be under pressure, and that is going to put him in uncomfortable positions. And the Niners probably will force turnovers because they always do. Like Even if their defense yeah. isn't playing that well, there's going to be a turnover. There's going to be three and outs. There's going to be sacks. You know, there's going to I mean, be They, they are third.
0: kind of similar teams, except I think the Niners are much better coached. Like when you look, you know, like on a defense, they have Bosa and and the Cowboys have Parsons, you know, like that edge threat, that superstar edge threat. On the offensive, you have big rushing attacks with Pollard and Elliott versus Debo and McCaffrey, you know, like they're pretty similarly matched, but I, I, I cannot trust the Cowboys coaching ever. Yeah. I mean, uh, look, I think the Niners defense is better,
1: but yeah, there, there are certainly similarities and, i i like i I don't know if you can totally trust shanahan he's has he has some bad fourth quarter you know management on his c v not only obviously through his involvement in the twenty eight three super Bowl as an offensive coordinator which he's got but also this you know the super Bowl against uh the chiefs when they blew a ten point lead and last year against the rams in the n f c championship game like He's not exactly someone, you know. The Niners being up ten against the Cowboys as the fourth quarter starts is he sometimes gets a little too smart for his own good as well in the sort of Staley mold of things. But yeah, I, I feel pretty confident that the Niners will beat the Cowboys.
0: All right. Well, don't, don't spoil the next podcast predictions. No. What I did want to say, Eddie, is we touched on uh, ranking the QBs, going into the playoffs. And now this is only one week, but we currently, according, according, no, according to QBR, this is how the first week of the playoffs turned out. Dak Prescott with an almost perfect 96.5, with 100 odds being the best. So anything over 90 is phenomenal. Dak Prescott, one. Brock Purdy, two. Kirk Cousins, three. Daniel Jones, four. And then a drop-off after that to Huntley, Geno Smith, Herbert, Burrow, and then another pretty significant drop-off to Trevor Lawrence, Josh Allen, Tom Brady, Skylar Thompson. So Thompson, I guess, is pretty predictable being on the bottom. Uh, Brady, Allen, and Lawrence, and Burrow being (laughs) the next ones on the bottom. Not super predictable there. Well, Brady
1: being towards the bottom would have been. Just because of who his team is. Like, again, I don't think that's a knock on him necessarily, but I would have, if you'd asked me to kind of rank what I thought the the QB, like, if the Bucs were going to win that game, they were going to win that game, you know, 21 to 18 or 16 to 14, and it wasn't exactly going to be some incredible quarterback performance anyway. It was going to be efficiency, good defense, and, you know, maybe a little bit of luck. So it doesn't surprise me too much with Brady, but yeah, there's some number Josh Allen and Joe Burrow and stuff being towards the bottom of that are that's the really surprising bit.
0: Yeah. But a definite tier right now of the top four being Prescott, Purdy cousins and Jones, which unfortunately cousins, isn't going to be through anymore, but uh, you know, Prescott Purdy and Jones are still in, so we'll see how they what fare. Was Prescott, what week.
1: was, what was uh, cousin's number? Uh,
0: 85.
1: So he could Jones, finish the playoffs. He could finish the playoffs with the highest average uh
0: QBR. He could with one game played. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I know, but there's a good chance, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know okay. what I mean? Like there's a good chance that he finishes it's not he gets the end. But yeah. But on that note, maybe we should switch focus quickly to the Premier League. That was once again eventful. We went into it saying if uh if there was a scenario where one of the teams, either Arsenal or City, lost and the other team won it would be a pretty significant shift in the look at the top of the table. And that did happen with Manchester City blowing a lead to lose 2-1 to Manchester United. And Arsenal, very good against Spurs. I mean, Spurs were flat. Spurs didn't play particularly well. Um, And Arsenal did get some help from Hugo Lloris deciding to chest the ball into his own net. I mean, I don't know why he couldn't have done that a couple of weeks ago in the England-France match. That would have been useful. But, uh, you know... Still, Arsenal were, and the first thirty thirty five minutes, Arsenal looked really good. Spurs kind of got a bit better over the course of the end of the first half and then the second half, but Arsenal looked outstanding for that first period. City, I mean, the real talking point is United's first goal, which was controversially not disallowed. Yeah. Um, what was your wh- what's what's your feeling on that? I I don't know how it's not offside. To me, it's so by the laws of the game, it's the correct decision. He's not touched the ball, he's not prevented a player from getting to the ball. So, for by a very sort of direct interpretation of what the laws of the game are, it's correct.
0: So, and this, okay, let me clarify. I want a clarification on that. So, from someone who isn't so ingrained into what like the specific rules are, for me, it looks like he clearly interferes with how the play's going to happen. And therefore, to me, he's influencing the play and what the players are doing. So that, and he's offside, so it should be called. Now, what you're saying is the rule doesn't say that if he like interferes with how the game is played, that's not technically like written in the rules. So
1: it's one of those rules that has changed numerous times. Over the course of the history of football and my lifetime, you know, when I was a child, you were offside if you were off, like the play was going to be stopped if you were yeah. offside, and kind of anywhere on the pitch, you could be on the other side of the pitch walking backwards. They were going to say, "Well, that player was offside." Offside. Then they realized that maybe that was too sort of stringent, and that there had to be some assessment of like, "Are you actually in interfering with play?" And they've kept kept redefining what interfering with play is and the way it is now uh, assessed is that it has to be it's in relation to their interaction with either a ball with the ball or an opponent and so with the ball it is strictly have you touched it or not everything else ball yep. related no longer matters and then with an opponent it's then have you stopped them from either being able to get to the ball or in the case of, say, a goalkeeper, have you blocked their view of the ball? And so in Rashford's case, if you see how it happened, the, the linesman flagged it for offside. That was the initial decision. Linesman says offside. The referee, who's then behind play, has decided he's seen that Rashford hasn't touched the ball and that he's decided that he hasn't either interfered with a Kanji, who's the defender coming back, or in any way with Ederson. And so the referee overruled the linesman and then said this is not offside. People have subsequently been really critical of VAR. VAR always deserves a lot of criticism. In this instance, (laughs) VAR's hands were tied because once the referee had made the on-field decision that Rashford had not interfered with play in any way, at that point from VAR, all they can decide is then was Fernandez offside because the referee has told VAR that Rashford is not a factor in this play. So they didn't, they weren't then looking is Rashford offside and they can't reassess. It's a judgment call on the field. So they cannot overrule the referee saying actually, unless they'd found that Rashford had touched the ball, that would have been the only thing in their replay. If they said, Oh no, he touches it here at this moment in time, it's no longer a judgment call. But as long as they, you know, in the instance he was correct that he hadn't touched it, VAR could do nothing. So people being critical of VAR are wrong. They should be critical of the referee on the pitch now there's a kind of often quoted uh, it gets usually attributed to Brian Clough sometimes to Shankly that like if a player isn't interfering with play what's he doing on the pitch and i think there's a certain logic to that argument at times in this <laughs> but I, it's case
0: clearly there though because he's
1: right there well in this case i would say he's at multiple times made moves as if he was going to play the ball going bowl. to yeah so it's not like he just had his run a kanji initially has stopped play Rashford offside so yep. he's then put himself a couple yards behind play based on that initial reaction Ederson as the pole is coming towards him because Rashford is directly in front of it is only watching Rashford so he's positioning himself to save a shot from Rashford and then at the last second is Fernandez who shoots and so you've also had Ederson be affected by what Rashford's yep. done I don't know how you can this is to me where the laws of the game get separated from like how they get written
0: versus if you've played the sport in any capacity like that. You can't I, Even if, even th- if you've not played it, I mean, watching that play, I can tell he's clearly influencing the decisions being made by the opponents and how they're playing that. So yes, how man. can he not, like if he's in an offside position and he's influencing how they're playing, how can that not, like it didn't make sense to me. And I, and then, you know, I can even see from Rashford's perspective, that's a great play by him. Because maybe he knows the rulebook really well, and he knows I that. I, see, I don't think he did. Like, because I think he's totally unaware up
1: until almost the last second that Fernandez is even there. It's only when he starts getting the shout from Fernandez that I think he realizes, and I think he's kind of played on, probably expecting to be flagged for offside at some point, but is thinking he's going to shoot, you know, and and he's probably surprised he's running like, oh, surprised I haven't. But you also know with the way the game's played nowadays that they don't blow plays dead just in case; they'd rather. Let you score and then review it. It's it's a shocking decision to me. It's really shocking. Like it's now means the law has to be reassessed. But you also know, tech is it technically the correct decision maybe, but it definitely shouldn't be. Um, but yeah, it's it's terrible. I just think there's no way you can look at that and and not think that Rashard significantly affected the play itself and interfered with multiple opponents in the process in terms of their decision-making and how they were then handling what was unfolding. It also then opens you up, you know, like there's going to be, if you're going to be a clever manager, there's going to be very diff- difficult because it's so situationally based, but you might be worthwhile having, if they're going to enforce you know, have players sort of be played through running sort of with the ball, but not never touching it. And then allowing other players to come from offside, onside positions to then, you know, like you could come up with these really intricate plays now to try and exploit that, that sort of interpretation. Uh, You know, I don't, I don't, I really just think there was no point in watching it that I thought it wasn't going to be offside. And to me, that's, it's that kind of eye test element to it. You watch the play unfold and you're just like, well, it's going to be disallowed. And then, oh no, it's not. That's not right. Uh, but yeah, it's a terrible decision. It has huge implications, obviously for the Premier League title race. It puts um you know Arsenal now i'd say in they've they've shifted to being favorites uh both from my position and also from a betting perspective, they're now five to six favorites city are eleven to eight, so this is the first time this season where. Arsenal are now sort of expected to win, I guess you could say. They've just got tough right, matches ahead.
0: Yeah, go ahead. Let me ask you this. I'm not even going to ask you about Arsenal. At what point is United a legitimate threat? Um, Not yet.
1: <laughs> what uh, about after this weekend? Yeah, if they beat Arsenal, I mean, look, they'll be telling themselves they are, that I believe. know they'll be saying to themselves well we could if we keep this run going and if we win this weekend but it's still a pretty big pretty big gap so i don't think i don't think if they beat
0: arsenal then they're they're six back
1: yes uh yeah uh five yeah no six they'd be on 41 and 47 a significant goal difference So you'd basically say it's fundamentally seven points because they have to be ahead. Like, I don't think, even if you say, let's say they win 3-0 this weekend. So that's still going to put them, you know, 14 goals behind. That's a pretty big gap to close. It's doable, but it's a pretty big gap. But no,
0: I think think it's too big. I don't expect them to win. And then, I mean, after, you know, after that match... They have a pretty favorable schedule. They have Liverpool, Newcastle, and Spurs left, and that's probably their toughest matchups. After that, I mean, I would say Chelsea, but Chelsea aren't really tough anymore. So, no, well, yeah, I also I think Chelsea will get better, but yeah,
1: no, it's look, it's it's possible, and if you are them, you will be saying, you know, they're the informed team, yep. and especially if they win this weekend, then they're definitely the informed team, but you know it's a weird one cuz if they lose this weekend then you'd say it's too much. So if you're if you're saying are they a title contender and it all comes down to one match in January for whether or not they really put themselves in the title race that probably means that they're not really a title contender. If you see what I mean like there's and you know they'll still yes they'd close the gap. They'd still have you'd expect they'd still have city ahead of them. Okay, it's only a 1 point gap but it still means you've got two teams to catch and you expect one of those two teams to keep some pretty solid form going, and uh, and you know their own fixtures improve as well. So you know, like City, I think in a pretty strong position to go on a on a good run. Now that uh, you know some of the those tougher matches are out of the way, obviously they've got the match with Arsenal coming up, but you know aside from that, they've they've got some pretty winnable games on the horizon.
0: The other thing I want to bring up, Eddie, is uh, could we, I know actually we're going to be seeing a Messi-Ronaldo match coming up soon as PSG is playing the, what, Saudi Arabia All-Stars or something like that, but could we be seeing more of a Messi and Ronaldo matchup as a Saudi Arabia club has apparently offered Messi $430 million a year to play for them? (laughs)
1: I don't think so. You know, I think, I mean, certainly not next season. I think Messi will
0: stay with PSG, right? But at at what point, though, I understand there are players who care a lot about legacy and care a lot about the game and everything that goes with that. But at what point, what financial (laughs) point do you say, screw it, this is an enormous sum of money? it's tough because so let's you never
1: know how accurate these uh net worth estimates are right but basically so he currently earns around 75 million dollars a year he has an estimated net worth of about between 600 to 700 million so you are saying that he's going to be given an annual salary that's say over 60, 5 times well, more than what yeah, he's making an, yes but an annual salary that's also 60% of his net worth yeah, so it's 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 substantial, of course, but then you have to question: Is someone worth six? Should should someone be who's worth six hundred million dollars ever be making a decision based on finances? You know, what I mean, like Messi already has enough money to have an incredible life for his children to have incredible lives for his grandchildren. You know, like the foreseeable future of his family, barring very poor financial decision making, is extremely secure. So if you're him, you would hope, and this is kind of my criticism of Ronaldo, who's in a similar position, the decision should never be where I'm, I'm going to go, where I, I'm only going to go there because I'm making the most money. Because that you, you should have secured that like a decade ago in terms of that's not a factor. You could maybe tell me, hey, do I go to PSG or Real Madrid while PSG are doubling my salary? Maybe then you think about it. But it shouldn't
0: be the determining factor. It shouldn't be. But if you told someone, no matter how much they have, that they could almost double their net worth in one year, I think you kind of have to consider it. I understand you have a ton of money, but you can always have more and you can always live a little better. Your yacht can always be a little bigger.
1: Well, you got to go and live in Saudi Arabia, though. That's probably why you're is going to be a little bit miserable because you're not really going to get to live a great life while you're there. So the life... Yeah. So, so there's, that's the, that's the payoff, right? And it for seemingly his, his family really love living in Paris. And, you know, you're talking about a family that's been used to being in Barcelona and then Paris, and now you're going to take them to Saudi Arabia, pretty significant change in lifestyle there. So that's one to consider. And maybe he wouldn't even move his family there. And then that's another element to consider. I think uh, to me, if I were Messi, I would make that move. If I reached the point where I said, I was going to retire, I don't have it in me anymore to play sort of elite football in Europe, then that's when the Saudi Arabian offer, if it were still on the table, would tempt me. Like, I wasn't going to play anyway. Why don't I just go there for a year and earn an obscene amount of money? Almost 1.2 million a day. Yeah. (laughs) It's insane. It's know, crazy. That that's the moment when I would consider it. But I think right now, while you're still playing, you've just won a World Cup. You know, you're part of a PSG team that's undoubtedly going to win the league. You're in, in a central part of that. You have a chance in the Champions League. You still will next season. There's no there's no real signs of a huge drop off on his part. I would. There's also always talk of the fact that he wants to finish his career in Argentina and then kind of have that storybook ending. Who knows what that means because he's also consistently linked to the U.S. So, you know, he's one of these players who's just everywhere. I, don't, I think he don't pay tax either. So he'd avoid any of his tax issues in Saudi Arabia. So that would be a bonus for him.
0: Oh, it's just like Florida. Saudi Arabia and Florida share so but, many similarities. As far as Messi's concerned, it's just
1: like everywhere. But there's, <laughs> True. They'd, they'd probably be pitching him a contract and be like, and no income tax on this. And he'd be like, Phew, I haven't paid income tax since two thousand and four. What are you talking about? But yeah, I don't know. I think I'd be disappointed if he did it in the same way that I'm disappointed that Ronaldo did it. Uh, You know, and who knows if if Ronaldo suddenly reemerges in European football next season, having had like some six month jaunt in Saudi Arabia and made tons of money, and then you know is playing for. Newcastle or Spurs or Sporting or whoever it is, but you, then you maybe say, I get it, he didn't have a lot of options on the table for that six-month period, and he took a bunch of money and kept himself fit or something. You could say that, but the standard, I occasionally watch Saudi Arabian football uh, from time to time, because it will be on like Eurosport and stuff during the day, and so as background noise, I'll put it on. You've al- I've also seen Saudi Arabian teams play when they go to the Club World Championship. It's not good football. I mean, this is a real drop off. Like I think it might be an eye opener for Ronaldo when he's sort of fully underway there of just how <laughs> how bad it is and how bad some of his teammates are. And it's gonna be interesting to see with Ronaldo, who obviously isn't necessarily the most tolerant teammate. No. To see how much he puts up with playing with people who, you know, if they went to Europe, would be probably playing third, fourth, fifth division football. Like that's a, you know, it's an exponential difference between what he's been used to and what he's about to experience. Yeah.
0: Anything else from the world of sports, any? I don't think
1: so. That was, it was a, obviously a big weekend, but that was pretty much it.
0: Yeah.
1: Watch some another other nice, pieces.
0: Nice weekend. I think coming up next Come weekend here. too, with another good premier league weekend. And then, uh, they're good football yeah player. even
1: longer because city spurs is on thursday so you oh yeah you're right so things kind of kick off thursday then bundesliga comes back
0: on friday about time um, what kind of what kind of break <laughs> is this <laughs> three, they get like three months off it's been three months since there's been a Bundesliga match. Geez. it's kind of
1: it's kind of strange you sort of is it
0: just it's... too cold to play is it actually does that they have anything norm- to do
1: with it they just normally have their winter break at this period of time anyway and then, whereas a lot of other leagues adjusted their winter break based on the mid-season World Cup, Germany kind of just took the decision of, no, the winter break will be the same. And look, I guess the argument would be, if you wanted to have the fairest treatment of all the teams, that meant that even the big teams who have had more players at the World Cup, they got to come back and they get the same, you know, a significant sufficient enough period of rest to not be able to say that the world cup impacted the rest of their season germany also cares a lot about their performance of their teams in europe right so if you were german you know like the, the bayern munich and dortmund and stuff you'd, you'd argue now get to be fresher as the you know champions league is not far away from kicking off again yeah bayern munich finally back on on friday and with with quite a good game uh there so yeah you have City on Thursday, Bayern on Friday, good Premier League action, and NFL playoffs Saturday and
0: Sunday, so another packed weekend of sport. Somewhat sport-adjacent-adjacent, adjacent. I, uh, while I was sick, uh, I didn't have much to do, so I was watching a lot of television, uh, and I watched The Devil's Hour. I don't know if you've seen this, it's on Amazon Prime. It's just a six-episode show, pretty good. Uh, but one of the supporting cast is uh, uh, Jamie Tart from Ted Lasso, and it was nice to see Jamie okay. Tart in a non-Jamie Tart, dot dot Jamie Tart, da, 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 so <laughs> kind of is, role.
1: So, so this is really supporting adjacent, adjacent, adjacent. Yeah, yeah, far, yeah. far removed. Okay,
0: yeah, we're right. like. Uh, three I years did watch.
1: Freedom. I did watch some of uh, net, the new Netflix, The Breakpoint the kind of documentary series about the Oh, yeah, board. I was going to ask you. How was that? I think if you don't have really any interest in tennis, it's probably a good thing to watch. I think if you already follow tennis, maybe season two they'll adjust. But so far, I guess my criticism would be is that there's so many tournaments and so many players that they can't... They didn't make the decision to really focus on a specific group. I mean, there's... There are people who obviously have agreed to do it to a different level of detail, but you're a little bit all over the place. So if you liked, and you focus on
0: Kyrios, because that would have been it. the year, huh? To randomly pick him to focus on, he's that in it. been a great year. But but you would
1: have wanted to focus him. You know, I think if I had been making it, you'd have said, let's get ten players or five players, even maximum, and we're basically just going to follow their lives and what their experience is like. And instead, you're a little bit too much. There's too many storylines going on. There's too many people involved. And so if you don't like tennis, or you don't follow tennis, it's probably interesting. But if you have any real interest in tennis, you're not getting any detail out of this that you wouldn't have already been aware of. You know, it just shows you, hey, it's maybe not the dream life you've expected. If you're not one of the really top 10, you know, that kind of, if you're a doubles player, it's not a ton of money and it's quite a tough life. If you're not a super highly ranked player, it's not as much money as you maybe think it is. It's a lot of travel. It's a lot of being away from your family during the pandemic and post-pandemic restrictions still, there's it's even tougher. But aside from that, it's not like the F1 documentary series or um, yeah. even some of the Premier League. I mean, that's ones. what they're all trying to do, right? Yeah. But, when, but, 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 you know, like the F1, they made the correct decision. They go team by team. They didn't just do F1. Yeah. It's like this year we were working with this team. Tennis, they should have done the same thing. It should have been like this year we've got one men's singles player, one women's singles player, maybe a doubles team, a doubles pair if you'd wanted to, but I don't think that's that necessary. And you should have just
0: done that. And like, well, for the next 50 years, we can keep doing this and cycle through. I'd be interested in the doubles because I wonder how close they are. Because I know sometimes it's just kind of players just play together who are two good players, but like, do they hang out a lot? Do they know each other pretty well? Do they text a lot? <laughs> yeah, you know, like. So I think
1: if you're one because the there doubles- are
0: some that are really close, right?
1: Yeah, I think if you're one of the like if you're a double specialist, and for the most part that means then you have a a standard doubles partner and maybe a couple others who you play with depending on scheduling. That standard doubles partner you're spending a lot of time with because you're traveling to a lot of the tournaments with them and stuff. It is different if you're yeah just one of those players who plays and doubles at Grand Slams and yeah. you know then you're, you're trying to figure out you know if you're Andy Murray and, and all of a sudden you play with Serena Williams for you know Kyrios has the famous the, one of the stories that went viral of, with him of him playing mixed doubles with Serena Williams and how difficult he found it because uh, she was like for example she said she'd serve first and she was kind of trying to dominate the play and they lost the first set and he was thinking to himself, like, "I'm I'm a better tennis player than you. I know you're Serena Williams, but I'm a better tennis player than you." So it said to her like the change of sets, like, "You got to let me be and more more involved here." I think you have those <laughs> dynamics, but then you also have the players who are, you know, thirty weeks a year probably traveling with
0: each other and spending time together. You, yeah,
1: I assume you have to like each other if you're going to do that.
0: Yeah. The other thing I watched was Last Chance You season two for the basketball one. That was that was good, and it was good to see our uh coach
1: Rob uh, former
0: coach Rob yeah, f- who's no longer with elac anymore he took his own head coaching position yeah. costa I haven't finished
1: the season yet. I've watched probably fifty percent of the season, I think yeah it's I think in always with last chance you they're kind of better when they when you're one and done with the team. And I know they've announced now mm-hmm. that they're not
0: doing it with ELAC again. They're not doing I, ELAC anymore. Yeah. That was like yeah, the, I, I, not a spoiler at the end, but Yeah. But I just Mosley think, said he's done. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, but they made a formal announcement anyway that they wouldn't wouldn't be doing that. I, I do think it's better to kind of have the one season. I also think from the team's perspective, two back to back seasons, it means that the other teams are really aware of what you're doing. Probably changes yeah. how they interact with you. It probably changes the type of people who want to come and play for you. Their, how they behave, you know, we, we had that discussion with Coach Rob when he was on in terms of, you know, like kind of how it changes how you manage egos and stuff. But it's good. Yeah. I mean, so it, that's a, I could, I would be disappointed. They could just make last chance you forever. I'm disappointed
0: they don't make football anymore. I know. I It's, I give those coaches so much credit because it is such a difficult job one, you're, you're coaching at a community college, right? So you're not getting any of the support from your, your college, university, whatever. It's not like you're coaching for a good D2 where you're getting a decent amount of money. You're getting a nice place to practice. You're getting a janitor to clean up, you know, like they are doing everything themselves, the, the gym, the locker rooms, everything. And at the same time, you're not even really able to develop a team because the goal is to get a player in, have him play for one year, do really well and get him out. So you have to simultaneously be a good basketball coach to win games, but also be a good manager of human beings to write someone who's clearly has deficiencies, whether it's mentally or physically write them and get them out like that. That's crazy. Like, it it seems very very difficult and a, like almost like a very selfish coaching job, you know. Like, yeah, well, there's not much I, in it for you.
1: Which I think came across when we had Coach Rob on. Which I guess, if this discussion interests anyone, is you can know, look back through our episodes and you'll find it there. Yeah, and I think they come across oftentimes less as coaches and kind of as sort of mentors and sort of yeah. life like guidance counselors for these people yep. and more. And and also as he mentioned, you know, there's a lot of unrealistic expectations those players you know people especially this season too you can see it who think they're going to be nba all-stars and there's not a lot of people who've become nba all-stars from because i also think that's the huge difference between the football and the basketball. it's like you can be playing junior college in football and you can end up being like a first round draft pick and become an nfl superstar there's a ton of people who followed that path There's not a lot of people who've been playing junior college basketball and then turned into NBA All-Stars. Like, that is an unusual path to follow. Obviously not impossible, but, you know, when you've got seven players on your team, all of whom are convinced, like, I mean, that makes – that not only would make you the greatest junior college team of all time, it would make you one of the greatest college teams of all time. (laughs) Yeah, If if you believed all of their egos, they're better than like that Kentucky team from a few years ago that had like six first round draft picks on it. And that was yeah. a division one school recruiting the absolute
0: best players in the country year in, year out. Yeah. And and you can see too, because there are players who they just want to go somewhere and play basketball at a university level, get some sort of scholarship and maybe get a degree and then call it. And And like, that's a very realistic goal. Yeah. You know, maybe, uh, maybe you, you went or, off course, something happened, and you think you can be at that level to play D1 or D2, depending on it. And you just want to finish out your career at the highest level you can and not wonder, you know, say, I could have been playing in, yeah. you know, a high Division two, or maybe I could have played Division one. I, I could have been okay there and not be able to do that. Like, that's realistic. But there are still people. I mean, there's one player in particular in this season who still thinks – he could go to any division one school and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll spoil alert it. He's still on the team this year, like this, this year, like the following year after this is filmed, you know, he hasn't moved on. And this is the same person who thought he could be in the NBA and, you know, comparing himself to NBA point guards.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's true. And I, yeah, I think there's the realistic, the hope that you can pay for your college education. That's the most realistic goal, which when you hear the coaches talk, that's what they're kind of trying to get people to do go to a division two school, go to a division one school, maybe get yourself a scholarship. Don't pay for college. That's a huge win. Then there's the maybe realistic further thought of, I could go abroad and play professional baseball. D league or something. Yeah. Or like I can go to Europe. You know, I can be in Turkey for a few years and get to experience what it's like to play professional sport. And you'd think not only is that a realistic expectation, you probably shouldn't try and encourage someone to not do that because, you know, as anyone who, I'm sure you and I can both relate. You love playing sports. Like it's sad when that kind of ends and you can maybe maintain it on some level with some sort of, you know, recreational league that you can take part in, but it's not the same thing. So the idea of playing kind of at a high level, you should try and keep doing that as long as you can do. But yeah, anyone who's there, you know, you need to sit down. I think any player who sits down there and says, I'm going to be a starter in the NBA can I mean, be like, okay, we need to have a heart to a heart here. Cause I there's... love when the
0: coach talks to them and then they kind of think they get it through. And then the end of the discussion is like, yeah, I'm still going to try for the NBA and they'll walk out and, and coach Rose is just like, he don't get it, man. He just don't understand. He's, he's not, he don't get it. <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting to me because actually
1: I feel like when you compare it to the football version where there were definitely some huge egos and people with massive ass like goals, I feel like most of the football players were more realistic there was way more players in the on the football team saying I just want to get a scholarship somewhere. Like I don't want to pay for college. Like I want to be the first person in my family to graduate with, you know, like a college degree. There were way more players talking about that in the football even though it was much more realistic for them to make the NFL. Whereas almost yeah. I mean there's nine guys on that team who think that they could go to the NBA.
0: All right, I guess with that we'll uh wrap it up for today and get ready for our NFC Divisional Round Playoff. Yeah. All right.